welcome to Change It Radio, a new podcast from People Before Profit Dublin based South. My name is Owen Hines and in this episode I was joined by local branch member Tobias Gunning and People Before Profit National Secretary Kieran Allen, who will be answering some frequently asked questions about the party. Hope you enjoy. How is everyone? We have Dr. Kieran Allen with us today, who's a, a senior lecturer and a professor of sociology at UCD. He's the author of nearly 20 books and has an impressive amount of other academic literature and journal publications under his belt. He's an expert on all topics ranging from Irish politics, the Celtic Tiger collapse, uh, inequality and in social partnerships, trade unions, social stratification, immigration, Irish racism, economic globalisation and the corporate takeover of Ireland. Kieran is also extremely well versed in the politics of James Connolly, uh, strategies for the radical left. He's renowned for his local activism work in the community, advocating for people pushed into the margins of society and helping them to find their voice to fight for a better quality of life. He is regarded as an expert when it comes to lecturing on the holy trinity of sociologists, Karl Marx, Emil Durkheim and Marx Weber. And I've had the pleasure of attending many of his lectures in the past, and I'm delighted to welcome him here today in the capacity of an activist and member of the Irish political party before profit. We're super excited to pose some questions to you, Kieran, and we received them from uh, local residents and people new to people before profit. Uh, and it is our hope that you can elaborate from your own perspective and answer some quite broad uh, questions concerning people be for profit, their ethos and their philosophy and their subsequent political perspective. So, so let's get into it. Um, I'm uh, on Tobias and, and Owen is here as well with me and we're going to kind of just run through a few questions with you and then just kind of let you let you kind of elaborate and uh, frame them and, and kind of explain to us really kind of the ins and outs. So does that sound okay, Kieran? Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your kind words. You've done a really good build up there. Um, so the first thing I kind of wanted to ask you was, could you could you give us a kind of a brief kind of overview and history of People for Profit as a political organisation? Yeah. Um, People for Profit has a rather unusual beginning because essentially it comes out of discussions and a learning from experience by revolutionary socialists or Marxists in Ireland who were members at that time of the Socialist Workers Party. And uh, we had people in it, like, for example, Richard Boyd Barrett, who joined as a young student who, who had gone to uh, uh, Palestine. Sorry, initially he'd gone to Palestine, yeah, and uh, kind of supporting the state of Israel and then was quite shocked by what he saw. So people like him joined the Socialist Workers Party and then it got involved in the sort of, um, uh, there was a big movement at the time, we're talking around the 2000s, called the World Social Forum or the European Social Forum was basically the anti-globalization movement. And one of the main um, ideas of that movement was you had to link the local to the global and the global to the local, right? So if, you, if you're going to be opposing global capitalism, you need to start off by doing something in your local area. So people like Richard got involved in local issues in Dunleary, and specifically he got involved in an issue to do with preserving uh, Victorian bats in the area. And what we found from that was that a lot of people agreed with us on the issue of save the bats, but not just save the bats, against privatization, for decent public services, uh, and for a more socially just and equal society. 
but they weren't going to buy into the Marxist analysis, if you like. They simply wanted the better world and this, that, and the other. So essentially, we decided around 2000, I'm very bad on dates, around 2006, seven to start um, a, a sort of an organization that would be a bridge between people who wanted out and out overthrow of capitalism and people who simply wanted social justice. And we came up with the name uh, People Before Profit. And what we did was we contacted a lot of different campaigns at the time. There was a campaign going from Shell to Sea to stop uh, a pipeline being built in Mayo. There was a campaign for uh, better services for autistic kids. Uh, there was a campaign for better house for housing rights and so on. So we pulled all that together into a an organization called Peep for Profit, um, initially chaired, by the way, by Alva Smith, uh, who was a, a very, very well-known prominent feminist uh, at the time. So it was a coalition of people who were essentially opposed to neoliberalism, not necessarily capitalism, but it's neoliberal variety in terms of cutting back on public services. And then I would say, really, I mean, just to finish then answering your question, I think the, the people has developed since then. So it began as a kind of broad anti-neoliberal party. But first of all, the world itself has changed. And you find now that people look on socialism with different eyes, you know, look at people like Jeremy Corbyn, people like Sanders and so on. Uh, so therefore, it has become a more explicitly socialist organization. But secondly, the internal dynamic of people discussing and working together means that their politics went beyond simply against neoliberalism to become more explicitly uh, socialist. So now People for Profit defines itself as a socialist organization in the tradition of James Connolly. That's great. And why would you say that at that time that uh, People for Profit was necessary? Like, uh, why, as opposed to parties like Labour or the Socialist Party that were around at the time, like, what, what did you see that People for Profit was doing? differently or to them? Well, okay, let's just take the two extremes there. So first of all, the Labour Party at the time, of course, had been involved, or if I remember, I, I could be wrong on my dates, but essentially it was a very much a, a party that was the, what you call it, the prop, as Padre O'Donnell once put it, the prop to keeping in power Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. So, I mean, most people really after the early period of the early 90s never took Labour very seriously. Even as a social democratic party, it was particularly weak and... Um, puny really in reality uh the uh sean lamas way back in the 20s he said of the labor party which i think is true to this day that the this is a party that if they were if they were called pale pink they would run in terror you know that that was the labor party uh, on the other side then you say what about uh the socialist party people like joe higgins and so on well i mean there, there was an attempt i suppose for those of us who came from marxist tradition to move beyond a kind of sterile dogmatic view whereby you simply advanced your program for what the world should be and an attempt really to engage in movements of people power. And that was that, that really is the key element of uh, uh, people for profit. In other words, that if you want to bring change, you need to do so not just by electing people to the parliament, but by uh, getting people together, getting people organized, giving people confidence and getting them to feel they have their own power to bring about change. So that was, I think, the, if you want to put it in, in branding terms, the, the niche market we were going for. Um, yeah, that's really interesting, Kieran. I'm kind of wondering as well, like, what can people before profit as a political organization and, and as a, a force going forward in Irish politics, what can they kind of bring to the to the doll and what can they bring to Irish society that will bring us 
you know, up and on into the 21st century and that will create a more kind of equal society and will, you know, will even out the balance, you know, and and kind of, I suppose, kind of gr- bridge the gaps between the, the, the rich and the poor because it seems, you know, with the advance of, you know, uh, Google and these multi-conglomerate uh, corporations and, and the kind of the global elite, that the gap seems to be uh, widening between the rich and the poor. And there seems to be like this tremendous kind of void or crack in society that is forming where, you know, a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people are going to um, fall to the wayside and get pushed to the margins. And I'm kind of looking, you know, I've been kind of looking at, you know, what are Sinn Féin doing? What are the Social Democrats doing? What's people before profit doing that they're not doing? And the other part of this question is, if it really is about moving towards a more kind of socialist kind of society and, uh, you know, political kind of overall kind of arching philosophy, why don't all the leftist parties really kind of come together under one umbrella and kind of push this kind of socialist agenda more kind of more fully and more unitedly, more united? There's a lot there, Tobias. Uh, okay, look, let's start off with the question of inequality, right? So you're, every serious study shows there's massive inequality at the moment. So take a very simple example. If you go back to the um, 60s, the gap between the average chief executive officer and the average worker was around, they, they earned about 40, maybe 30, 40 times more than the average worker. Today, these are figures from America, but they're the same here. They, they're earning maybe 250 times. So the gap is enormous. And if you people like Thomas Piketty, he outlines all this in great detail right across the world. The general pattern is the share of an economy going to those who live off wages or social welfare has decreased or pensions has decreased, whereas the share going to those who live off profit, dividends or rent has increased. I mean, you can find that in the just go to the central statistics office. And you'll find the data for that. So inequality is increasing. Okay. So the next question then is, um, if that is the case, what can people before profit do about that? Well, I think two things we can do. The first thing is that um, once you have people in the doll, and this is important, once you have people in the doll, the mere fact that they appear on the television, that they their speeches are reported, to some extent it adds legitimacy and it makes uh, ideas which might otherwise appear normal, sorry, but otherwise it might appear extreme to be more normal. So let's, let's say, for example, right, we're in the middle of the COVID crisis and I get up and say, right, I think in this COVID crisis, the state should step in and pay building workers, who, by the way, are now working on terribly big sites, they should pay them four, 400 euros a week. If I stand at the GPO with a left-wing newspaper and, and give out leaflets saying that, I'm regarded as marginal. But the mere fact that in the parliament, we have been able, not just one or two individuals, but the radical left generally, to be able to articulate a set of issues, whether from women's rights on abortion, to gay marriage, to uh, PUP payments, to student nurses and so on. It, 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 it helps to concretize policies in the minds of a lot of people. And to some extent, you, want, you don't want to exaggerate this, adds to their ability and confidence to organize. So if you take student nurses, for example, student nurses up to now were not being paid for going in sometimes to work in COVID wards. 
we took up a campaign, we made speeches in the Dáil, we put a motion in the Dáil, but then in turn, we helped to organise the student work nurses to fight for themselves. And now, lo and behold, they are getting some concessions from the government. It's not that we can miss it, not that we can get rid of inequality, but I think by being in the Dáil, you can, you, you can do that. And then secondly, by having people power campaigns, campaigns on the ground, like we're, we're going to at some point get things moving on the uh, sewerage treatment plant in uh, Benz. I mean, if we can get 40, 50 people together, we know we can, and, and then move from there to a bigger social movement, we know we can achieve it. We've done it before. We beat them on the water charges. Remember the water charges they were telling us you have to pay for water? Nobody thinks that's because people, people got together to do that. So that's, that's, that's what we can uh, add to do. Now, the third question you asked me was, how does that relate then to uh, Sinn Féin and the Social Democrats? Uh, the Social Democrats, first of all, the Social Democrats are effectively a split away from the Labour Party who have um, adopted a slightly more radical language, particularly on issues pertaining to, for example, a gay marriage, uh, if you want to call it, a woman's right to choose. You know, they're, they're relatively strong enough on those issues. But they're not very strong socialists. Uh, they don't push for the taking of um, the private hospitals into public ownership, as far as I know. But more generally, they do not rule out the possibility of eventually replacing the Labour Party as one of the coalition props to either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. So Sinn Féin is an interesting party because Sinn Féin has a working class base. So I looked recently at some of the figures and again, roughly, if you can correct me if I had them in front of you, you could, you could maybe do them more accurately. But basically, about 30% of their voters come from unskilled uh, manual workers and 35% come from skilled manual workers. That's about 70% of their voters come from a working class background. And they're seen as a party that voices working class concerns. And to be and their manifesto at the last election, with one very important exception, it was quite similar to some of the things Jeremy Corbyn said, right? The important exception is they don't call for public control of private industry. They don't call for nationalization of the banks. They don't call for nationalization of private hospitals, nationalization of the agribusiness. But okay. But the main difference with Sinn Féin is that uh, Sinn Féin effectively put the unification of the Irish nation from above ahead of anything else. And therefore, they are willing to go into coalition with Fianna Fáil, I would predict, in the future. Uh, they are presently in coalition with the DUP in the north, where they implement, often people aren't aware of this in the south, they very much implement neoliberal policies, therefore the privatisation, for example, of the Northern Housing Agency. So, therefore, we're talking about a different um, type of party, People for Profit is. I mean, People for Profit is not, I mean, we are for a 32-county Ireland, but we see it as part of a movement to bring much wider change. And for us, the question of class and social class means we would never link up with um, uh, Fianna Fáil uh, in government. And lastly, then, why why do the parties go differently? Well, uh, left-wing parties go in different directions. Well, first of all, the left can unite uh, when it wants to unite. So so we can unite, for example, against the far right. We, are, we work with Sinn Féin in groups like Lekela. Uh, we've worked with Sinn Féin in the water charges movement in the past. We have no problem working with people but there are different roads to bringing about change. And I think for both the Social Democrats and Sinn Féin, the road is mainly getting into government to manage this present system. And I don't think they have any concept of uh, an upsurge from below, a people power movement that's going to mobilize on the streets, occupy workplaces, do all sorts of radical things. 
that's not what they're into. So you mentioned uh, there um, that one of the similarities between people for profit and Sinn Féin is, uh, you know, a 32 county Ireland. Um, Sinn Féin seems to have, I guess, uh, for most people, a kind of a monopoly on this question, uh, like they would see be seen as the, you know, the nationalist uh, party of Ireland. Um, how would you say that the best way to kind of communicate to people that, you know, people for profit is also a 32 county, you know, we have a kind of a difference imagination about how we come across um, come to that conclusion basically yeah i mean that's a good question i mean one of the effects of partition is often people in the south either don't really follow what's going on in northern politics because you don't even hear about it these days on the radio or else flip between you know basic apathy to a kind of fort greenfield mentality you know we want to take it back it's our field and so on um and often people don't think about the question of the North. I'm just saying that not to blame anybody, just the way the culture has developed in the South and it's been deliberately fostered in the South. Now, if we look at what Irish unification would mean, there's two variations on this. And we can use the Italian socialist Gramsci as a, an age to helping us understand this. Gramsci talked initially about unification from above and unification from below. Italy eventually was united as a country by um, the Duke of Piedmont and a politician called Cavour, essentially cobbling together the existing structures and uniting Italy from above. As against uniting Italy from below would have been people like Garibaldi, the, the red shirts, who would have mobilized the peasants, uh, really gone for getting rid of the control of the Vatican on the center of, the, um, Rome, at the, of Rome at the time, and brought about substantial change from below. So let's use these two concepts, unification from above and unification from below. I would argue that these days, Sinn Féin is for unification from above. And by that, I mean that they would be willing to, to have a unit. This actually, I've read their documents. In fact, I've got a book coming out on this re recently or in the next uh, month or two. Uh, they are for a form of unity, which they call a confederal Ireland, which could leave in existence the Dáil in the south and Stormont in the north. Stormont organised along essentially confessional lines. You know, if you're from the Protestant community, or unionist community, you're from the nationalist community, you fight to see who will get most representatives in the parliament. So the point is, the existing structures would stay exactly the same. Uh, Orangeism, which is a form of, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a supremacist ideology, Sinn Féin now defines in terms of almost a culture. It's like a culture. And we'll have to accept this uh, culture in a uh, in a new Ireland. So what we can see here is an idea of a united Ireland whereby nothing has changed fundamentally in terms of its economic policies, in terms of the existence of sectarianism uh, in the north, and in terms of, for example, the fact we're tax saved in the south, this won't change, and so on. Now, the people profit vision is different to that. We're for unification from below. We think it's really good that the environmental movement is now talking in terms of across the whole island rather than simply talking about what goes on here. We think it's very good that when you had, for example, the, the Belfast rape trial, there was immediate mobilizations at the horror of the judgment in Dublin as well as Belfast. There's an instinctive way of thinking about Ireland as an island, which we can bring about change. And therefore, we are articulating that in that what we want to see is a new radical Ireland, which in formal terms will have a constituent assembly to draw up a new constitution, 
Uh, but we hope it comes about through this pressure from the groundswell, from the ground, which has a different vision, which is not just about hitching the north to the south, the existing states, but rather fundamentally changing uh, what's happening in these states. So we want an, uh, an, an all-island, which is not a tax haven for multinationals, an all-island which has a decent national health service, uh, an all-island whereby the church is completely pushed out of education and the schools. This is a type of Ireland which I believe is the only type of Ireland that can appeal to Protestant workers, who, by the way, now, you look at the wages in the North, they're quite shocking. The wages are really low in the North compared to either the South or Britain. Uh, the living conditions of people are pretty uh, poor. People want change, but at the moment, they're being pulled to the right by the DUP, the Paisleyites, and who, by the way, back Trump and all that. I think there's scope for a left to give a different vision of an Ireland, which is about surpassing the two states and bringing about a united socialist Ireland. So you mentioned there briefly about how uh, the environmental movement is organizing across the border, which is obviously like a great development. Um, but obviously, you know, the environmental crisis is one of the big issues of this generation. It's not something that's going to be going away anytime soon. So what are some of the things that People for Profit have been doing um, in response to this environmental crisis? And how does people for profit see, I guess, a way out of this and some solutions to this um, emergency I guess, we're in? Well, just to just give you two examples quickly of that, by the way. Uh, in um, Tyrone, there's a thing called Dalrida mining for gold. And in Donegal, there's also a beginning of gold mining. So one of the jobs we're trying to do at the moment is link up people on both sides of the border to be against gold mining because it's pretty damaging. Uh, to the environment. And similarly, fracking. Fracking was going on in Fermanagh. Fracking was going on in Sligo. There was natural uh, links made between people across the border. Uh, but what, what's people for profit? So for, first of all, people for profit sees the people for profit is an eco-socialist organization, right? And increasingly will, will be promoting itself as an eco-socialist uh, organization in conjunction with our friends in RISE and so on. And an eco-socialist means that we see the root of the problem in a system that is built on accumulation for accumulation's sake. If you think about modern capitalism, modern capitalism has a problem when it is not growing annually. If the growth rate of any economy is less than 3%, there is paroxysms of fear. Uh, they have to find ways of stimulating the economy. I mean, the uh, European Union puts about, I think about 30 billion of paper money into the banks every month just to stimulate the economy. That was before COVID, now obviously they've put a lot more in. So capitalism is a system that has to grow continually, even if that doesn't suit people's needs. So obviously that's going to come up against the limits of the planet. So for us, there's a structural problem here. We need to move to a different type of uh, economy and society. And that cannot be based simply on a carbon tax on individuals. It's much more deeper. And then just to amplify all that, because we don't believe, if you like, in just spelling out these general theories, we have produced, I think, is a brilliant document, which will again be updated just for its recent figures, which spells out in Ireland exactly what we have to do in order to fulfill our responsibility to uh, mitigating climate uh, change. So agriculture, 33% uh, of our emissions are from the agri-industry. And we say openly and clearly, you cannot go on talking about climate change and have an agri-industry in Ireland that's based on always increasing the dairy herd, increasing the beef herd, 
because we want to supply global markets. So we want to uh, essentially break that link between this massive expansion of the dairy herd, but we want to do it in a way that is a just transition that allows particularly small farmers to keep and indeed expand their income. And that means breaking the grip of the Larry Goodmans and so on. When it comes to transport, we estimate, again, if I, I haven't got the figures in front of me, but about, uh, I think about 15, 20% of our emissions come from transport. And you find when you look at it, Ireland is the most car dependent society in the world, uh, uh, outside of America, it's incredible. Uh, we have 1,500 1, people die each year because of the emissions from cars, uh, from air pollution and so on, mainly caused by cars. So we want to move to a regime of free public transport. People say, oh, that's unrealistic. But is it realistic to let people die uh, of um, carbon emissions? And is it, is it is realistic to let the planet burn? Um, so we want, it, we want a massive program to insulate houses, you know, all of these things. So the point I'm making to you is we take the environment extremely seriously. We have an environmental caucus inside People for Profit that meets. I think it's meeting on the 2nd of February. Uh, anybody can go along to that. Uh, and we try to formulate policies, link in with the environmental movement, be part of groups like Extinction Rebellion, and all the time promote a notion that we want to have fundamental change, we have to have just transition, and we have to bring the people with us by pointing how you can have a better world that's not built on consumerism and continual uh, accumulation. Stuff. Um, I'd be really interested, Kieran, in kind of getting you to elaborate a little bit uh, on people before profits approach to addressing local issues as being, you know, a unique selling point for the party and a great way of recruiting local local residents from local communities. Um, what would you would you say about that? Like, it, I mean, I've seen people before profit doing more local activism work than any other parties. I, I don't see, you know, I don't see Sinn Féin or, or anyone else getting involved in, in these kind of local issues. I mean, I, obviously, I'm not an expert on it like yourself, but uh, what, would you, what would you say about that, Karen? Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, look, at the, if, you, if you're at the top of society, if you're a member of the elite, you often think in grand general terms, right? But if you're not hugely political, uh, and you don't have the time and the space, mainly you often concern what's happening on your doorstep in many cases, right? And I think that because People for Profit wants to mobilize the grassroots of our society, it really wants to focus on local issues. So I, I would call a successful branch of ours, and not every branch is successful, you know, it depends on the situation and so on, is one which sinks deep roots in a local area, knows what's going on, and is able to campaign on issues that are concerning people. So I just noticed, for example, uh, Tina McVeigh over in near the Liberties has just started a campaign against the building of a co-living quarters there. I think Bartra are trying to squeeze as many people as possible into one of these um, what they call co-living units. So we, we will get a campaign going and we will mobilize people on that. I mean, what I've been involved in the past in, in the branches I just on, the, on this area, Dublin Bay South, we have run campaigns, for example, against the disgraceful conditions that people live in in the inner city, in their inner city flat complexes, where there's rats running around, where there's dampness on the walls, there should be regeneration. And then you find, of course, once you start raising this, suddenly the council wakes up and says, well, maybe we'll lock, knock them down. But they want to knock them down and send the people way out past Kulak or somewhere. They don't want to re regenerate them and have them 
in the city. So when this goddamn COVID is over, we need to go back to issues like that and take up these very basic points that people have. And I, then I you guess, make, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I, you know, it comes to mind. What comes to mind when you're saying that was the managed decline of the inner cities of the Perfect. 70s and 80s, you know, and then we have the likes of, of the Johnny Ronans that move in and the massive big developers that make kind of loads of money once people are pushed out into the, you know, the suburbs out into the city wests and the Blanchardstown and the Clendalkins of, of Dublin, you know. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I always say to people in these areas, you're, you're sitting on a gold mine, right? Okay, you're living in terrible conditions at the moment, but they want you out. And just look at look at, look at at the area we're, we're in here, Dublin Bay South. Look at the number of hotels that have been built, the number of office blocks that have been built. I mean, it's just amazing how they're really, and this is delib it's deliberate policy. They deliberately want to run down the inner city flat complexes so people eventually say, oh, give us a place, get out of here and so on. That's how they operate. So we, we try to mobilize people on that on various occasions we brought 20 30 people down i remember one occasion we brought 20 30 people down to dublin city council with uh, uh what you call pretend rats in order to throw them around the place just to give the council officials a taste of what people are living in it's it's, it's, it's very hard to do things at the moment because of the um covid but our general method is take the issues that are of concern to people that ultimately come down to this question that profit is always put before people, that there's very little amenities given for the built environment around which people live and so on, and do mobilize people on this issue. And, and the important thing to say is you can win. That's, that's the key thing. I mean, just go back to my original point. People for Profit was founded to stop the destruction of Victorian baths. Now, you might say, is that the most important issue in the world? Probably not. It is not. But for people in Dunleary, it was important. They managed to save the bats. So therefore, by mobilizing on issues like that, we want to win uh, so that people's confidence grows. We're not just doing it, you know, because we want we think in the future we live a social society. We're doing it because we want to win. And we know that in winning, confidence grows. And when confidence grows, people's horizons begin to increase. So yeah, we want to do that. Good stuff. Good stuff, Kern. Um I can I do you mind? I just want to come back in with uh Another another kind of well, it's kind of like a double. I suppose it's another one of these my my complicated double barrel questions, Karen. Um, but uh, what is what would you say is the main driving force behind the goal of collective action filtering out from the local branch meetings? And with that being said, what are the local people before profit branch meetings really all about? And and you know what what are their aims and so on? Well, a local people-for-profit branch meeting, uh, it's got a number of purposes. The first purpose is general political education, right? Uh, most of the time in, uh, I mean, you know, we, we know each other from university, Tobias, right? And in university, you're encouraged to talk. So that's the whole point of education. You go to a yeah. seminar and you're encouraging the students to say things and discuss and so on. But if you go to the experience of outside university, where are you encouraged to talk politics, Right in a pub, so we have pub talk, which we often call pub talk, but people don't learn that, you know, the, sorry, you know, the mystification that goes on in Dáil and about these people who can speak so well and they yap on and they say nothing. We have to encourage a situation where lots of people are confident at putting across an argument for zero COVID or what do we say on the mother and child scheme and so on. So one purpose of the branch meeting is to encourage that very general political culture of talking, right? The, the second purpose of a branch meeting 
is to, and this is a very hard thing to do, it's not an easy thing to do, is to eventually give people the skills to be able to um, get campaigns going in their areas, right? To be able to sit with a group of non-party members, 10, 20 people, and to plan out, well, what are we going to do about co-living? What are we going to do about uh, the water treatment plant and so on? Uh, and I think a branch meeting should be a source. It should be like a think tank that gives people support in doing that, gives people some ideas on how it can get those campaigns going. Uh, so those, what I think, is the main purpose. And then what, what's, what's the long-term goal? Well, the long-term goal, obviously, is to uh, build roots in an area, to get elected representatives to the council and to the doll. But just remember, getting an elected representative in itself is not the be-all and end-all. It's only a means to further deepening the connection between the party and the wider working-class community. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. And therefore, uh, electing somebody to the council who simply says, oh, come to me, I'll do it for you, and I'll raise these questions for you. I mean, fine, we're not, we're not against it. But much better to have a councillor that is involved, like I'll just give you an example of Tina McVeigh, who then comes back, who raises her issue at the council, tells people what's going on, but then goes back to the local community and says, right, we're going to try to organise here to put a bit of pressure on the council to achieve something. That's, that's, our, that's what we want. To, that's our party we want to build. I, th I think from from my own experience, you know, it's it's definitely it creates that space. It creates that kind of social space where it enables people to mobilize for a local issue and to bring awareness and to bring support together for national issues, because you're not going to read. You're only going to social media is only one outlet, but uh, it's you know, th there's not really. You know, it doesn't bring the same level into. It doesn't bring the same level of awareness into the kind of public consciousness as as when you get a bunch of people together in a branch meeting and you can have a kind of a civilized discussion about about the topical issues of the day. You know, or the. the I agree absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the things that uh, always surprises people when I talk about our our own branch is how often that we meet because I know it's like most other political parties they usually only meet like about once a month or so, but I think that's kind of due to the fact that, you know, we always are busy, we're always doing stuff. And even within our own branch, we didn't even have any sort of like a representative for almost a year, but we're still like a very, very strong, very busy branch throughout that year. It wasn't, it wasn't about, you know, putting forward a personality. It was about actually achieving genuine change for the local area. So I think that's one of the, uh, one of the differences that is there between our party view of our profit and others. So, yeah, when well, most people join people for profit, uh, like their first interaction with the party is, yes, it's at the branch level. They go to the local branch and go to meetings, and then that's where they kind of they kick off, I guess. Um, could you just give, like, I guess, a quick rundown about the, I guess, the um, internal democracy of and the structure of people for profit and how it runs from the inside, I guess? Yeah. Okay. So um, we're a, a broad democratic party, and the way it works is this. Uh, first of all, we have an annual general meeting. We have one coming up on the 27th of February. Uh, branches can put in resolutions and nominate people for a steering committee. Steering committee is, is about 12 people at the moment. Um, so th that steering committee is mandated to carry through the decisions of the annual general meeting. Um, there's one delegate for every five registered members to go to the annual general meeting. So that's, if you like, the fundamental basis of the democratic decision making. But on top of that, there is a national council that it's been a bit messed up with COVID, 
but ideally would meet about three times a year. Well, I know how, not just ideally, should meet, does meet three times a year. Uh, and what that does is you have a de one delegate for every 10 people. And again, branches can put forward resolutions, indicate where the party should go. So we try to have these quarterly meetings and an annual general meeting to give people um, uh, a full input into the party. But in many ways, these that's the formality. But then I would say there's two elements to the culture of people for profit, maybe a few elements of culture that, that if you like, promotes democracy. Uh, first of all, obviously, branches have considerable autonomy. So branches, you know, when, when you know, if I'm talking to a branch in Limerick, I don't, I'm secretary of the party, I don't go and tell them this is what you need to be campaigning on. I mean, we obviously indicate there are certain national priorities, but they've got to make up their own mind on what issues, local issues to focus on. Uh, secondly, I think we have a culture that um, really challenges any forms of elitism. So unlike conventional parties, we don't put TDs on a pedestal. We don't say, listen to Richard Boyd Barr, listen to Breed Smith, because she's a very important person. In fact, we encourage people to, you know, treat them as an ordinary human being, as a, a fellow member of the party, to agree or disagree with them. And obviously, we insist that their wages, they live on the average uh, wage. So I think that those are important elements of the culture. And very lastly, uh, this is my own particular personal view. I mean, I've been around the left for many years, and... Um, one of the saddest things of the left is when you are very marginal to society and what you say makes no real difference. And let's say you're, you're trucking, I've been there, you're trucking on for maybe five, 10 years. You'll always find something to have a row about and the rows can become really embittered and nasty. And you, this, is, this is often is a feature of left parties splitting and so on. I think one of the things that's important about people for profit, this is where I think ultimately democracy comes from, is if you are relating not to a mythical working class, but to the actual flesh and blood working class that is in this country at the moment, and you're engaging with their concerns and you're connected to their concerns, then a lot of the sort of more doctrinaire type arguments, they begin to take on, not, not, I'm not against theory, I'm not against having arguments, but it, you, 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 have, you have a sense of proportion. So I think the attempt to be for profit to root itself in local communities, to listen to what working people are saying, that helps, I think, develop a culture of a much more democratic decision making because no central committee or no steering committee can tell you exactly what to say if you're if the emphasis is put on listening to people and what they want and how to articulate their uh, grievances. Stuff, stuff, Karen. So I got one more question for you, Karen. So if like if you're if you if you were somebody who I know you're you're listening to this, you're kind of like thinking of joining some political party, getting involved, but you're kind of have a toss up between I know a uh, number of parties on the left and people for profit. So like, what would be the I guess the the pitch I guess that you would give that person about why they should join people for profit over other ones? Well, first of all, a lot of people are joining people for profit at the moment. I mean. Um, one of my jobs on the uh, steering committee is to w welcome people who join. So last week, about 47 people joined. The week before, it was about 50 people. And whenever I'm talking to people, I always ask them, so what motivated you to join? And these days, the answer I nor this is true, <laughs> the answer I normally get is everything, everything, everything has gone wrong, the whole, the way the world is, not just a specific issue. So I would say to people, Two things. Number one, if you have a feeling there's something going awry, something really rotten in the state of Ireland and indeed the world in terms of climate change, the way business interests is continually putting pressure 
to uh, ignore public health advice and so on. Uh, if you're really concerned about the inequality, here's a party that's based on uh, people power that wants to bring about uh, change. So that's important. And secondly, if you're somebody who uh, in the south of Ireland is part of that growing uh, number of people who just think it is amazing that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have been in power for 100 years and are yearning for the day they will be out of government for once and for all. The one party you can be guaranteed that will not be joining Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael in government at any point is people for profit. And the one party that will be putting more radical pressure on the others, whether it's Sinn Féin or whoever else, to really stay true to their words, which is to bring about real change working people, is people for profit. So if you want a really radical alternative, you should join people for profit. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you again to Kieran for coming on and chatting to us. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed chatting to Kieran. If you're listening to this before February 4th, 2021, there is a special Zoom meeting entitled The Politics of People for Profit, which is uh, aimed at any prospective members or new members who want to uh, just get up to speed on a lot of the things we're talking about in this podcast. You can get in contact with our branch at tbs at pbp.ie that's tbs for Dublin Bay South or you can contact us uh, on social media at pbp Dub Bay South on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and you can also look for the main beautiful profit pages just by putting a search they're all in uh, you know easy to find so uh, this podcast will be put out pretty irregularly just when we have uh, topics to talk about and we have time to put to do it basically it's a pretty diy job but please subscribe and we'll get to you when we get to you basically thanks again